second sermon in our Relationships 101 series. Last week, we began with the most important relationship of all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, how we as human beings can have an amazing, incredible relationship, and we get drawn into the dance of the Trinity. Well, today, we're talking about marriage. Now, the danger of preaching a sermon like this is that every teenager who's here or listening online kind of goes, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me, and checks out. No, 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 no. Teenagers, listen to me. Uh, When we unpack today Ephesians chapter 5, it kind of lays out the rock-solid blueprint for how a marriage, how a long-term relationship can not just survive, but thrive. So teenagers, I want you to encourage you. Maybe that seems like ages and ages and ages, a long way off. But don't be so quick to write it off. It's really good to know God's ideal plan, his blueprint for how he thinks long-term relationships are supposed to go. You know, I've heard a lot of divorced people say things like, I never had a good model growing up to follow. My home was totally chaotic, totally dysfunctional. Uh, divorce and my parents, my mom had boyfriends, my dad had girlfriends, all this kind of stuff. So when it came to my turn, not growing up with a good model, I botched it. So teenagers, listen up today. Put this biblical understanding in your minds. It will help you out later in life. Today's sermon should be an easier jump uh, for anyone who's single or are dating young adults. Uh, No matter what our current culture screams at you about gender, sexuality, and the breakdown of the traditional family unit, it is absolutely crucial to regularly remind ourselves the blueprint that God has, how he's designed long-term relationships to work best. Maybe, maybe you're listening and you're at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Maybe you're in your senior years, uh, your spouse has passed away, you're alone again, Uh, Maybe at some point you got divorced, you're not going to be remarried. Uh, You may well think, well, this sermon has nothing for me. Well, I want to encourage you this morning, look down a generation or two and listen and be reminded of God's blueprint for marriage. Pass this on to your kids, your grandkids, maybe your great-grandkids, and help that next generation do even better. Well, I came across a great account uh, this week from a woman by the name of Katie Barnes, and she worked as a hospital administration clerk. So as soon as people came in, Katie was the one who kind of welcomed them, took down all the information, and got them in. And she says she will never forget this one time, and the husband had had a heart attack. The ambulance shows up, they rush him into the emergency room, doctors, everybody's working on him. And then soon after the wife's, man's wife came in and she provided all the information, they got everything down, and then Katie said to her, look, as soon as I hear anything, I will come and find you, I will tell you, but just have a seat in the waiting room. And so this lady says, okay, no problem. And it was a long wait, well over two and a half hours. She had a cup of coffee, she walked around, she did all this stuff. Finally, Katie Gummery said, they're ready for you, you can come in and see your husband, he's stable. And so she came in and she walked into his room and the lights are low. And all of a sudden she's seeing like there's the intravenous pole. He's hooked up. There's the heart monitor. There's the pulse thing on his finger. She's like, oh my goodness, is he okay? And he was kind of asleep. They had sedated him and he was just resting. And she goes over 
And she whispers in his ear, she says, uh, George, sweetie, I'm here. And then she bent down and she kissed him. And at that exact second, his heart monitor went beep, 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 beep. And she said later, you know what? He was okay. He pulled through fine. But she said, after 47 years of marriage, it is so nice to know that I still make his heart miss a beat when I kiss him. And when God laid out his plan for marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, that is exactly the kind of long-term, mutually loving and caring relationship he intended. So we are going to dive in. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you. Ephesians chapter 5. It's obviously on the screen as well. Beginning at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We could probably stop right there. That would be the end of the sermon. But amazing verse. We're going to keep going. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, at first reading, you couldn't find a more counter-cultural set of verses. If someone were interviewed on CBC National News and busted out these verses with no explanation, I guarantee you'd have a thousand email complaints within an hour. Now, if we import in our minds the experiences of abusive, domineering husbands that acted like jerks into our understanding, the thought of a woman submitting to that kind of husband is appalling. So as we hear and understand these verses, we need to be sure we have a clear understanding of what God intended. When Paul asks wives to submit to their husbands, in verse 22, he finishes the verse with, as you do to the Lord. And we need to stop and think about that. Okay, what is it like when someone submits their life to Jesus? Well, Jesus doesn't abuse them. He doesn't belittle them. He or expect them to be a mistreated slave. Jesus loves and empowers those who follow him. Okay, now we're starting to get a little bit of the flavor Paul's going for. Paul again says in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Well, how's our Jesus our Savior? Well, he died for us. That's the complete opposite of a domineering jerk. That is sacrifice and love. Bible scholar Frank Thielman, on his commentary on Ephesians, says this. He says, Paul pictures the wife's submission as the recognition of the authority of a husband who initiates self-sacrificial, nurturing, and supporting roles. Christ feels with respect to the church. So in case you think that such an idea is just completely old school and no young modern Christians would ever be okay with the wife submitting to her husband, you need to know I just finished premarital counseling with a young couple this week. We talked about these verses and they surprised me and the potential bride said, you know what? No, I'm okay with submitting when we have talked things through And my husband feels strongly based on Scripture that what God is telling him and directing him. 
Yeah, I'm okay with that. The only thing I would add to the husband is make sure the decision you feel strongly led to make is indeed something important and something you can back up with Scripture. One of my favorite little books when I need a laugh is this gem. It's completely fallen apart. I've read it so many times. The Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass, age 37 and three quarters. He's this English Christian guy, and he's just a complete nut. He's so funny. And the whole thing's written as a diary. So this is Tuesday, December 31st. Oh, I was awake at 5 a.m. with this blasted toothache. Prayed hard. Maybe it'll just go away. Getting more and more irritable. Must be careful or my wife, Anne, will guess. Over to the cook's house at 9 p.m. for the church's New Year's Eve party. Earlier on, I had said, we'll take quiche, shall we? Anne said, I think cake would actually probably be better. Gently reminded Anne that Scripture tells us the man is the head of the woman. We took quiche. Everyone took quiche. No sandwiches, no cake, no pudding, just acres of quiche. Anne said, what now, O Lord and Master? (laughs) Pretty great. So make sure it's worth something actually important. All right, well, my second point is entitled Legit Husband Material. I started watching a great uh, Netflix series uh, a couple weeks ago called Animal. And the first episode is called Big Cats, and it's all about snow leopards and cheetahs and uh, tigers. But it spends the majority talking about lions. And the more I watched, the more I kind of got hooked. I was fascinated by the behavior of lions. The female lion finds a mate with the alpha male big daddy of the pride. And so she gets pregnant. Once the cubs are born, I had no idea about this. She actually leaves the group, leaves the pride, and goes by herself. And it's about a six-week period. The cubs are born. She nurses them. And she's essentially a single mom for over six weeks. Now, this is really difficult in the savanna grasslands when everything is trying to kill you. And so what she has to do is find really secure hiding spots. And she'll stick her cubs in there. She makes sure no one can see them. Then she goes and hunts, kills something, eats it, comes back, and she nurses those cubs for six weeks until they're strong enough and their diet can begin adding in meat and other things. Then she returns the little gang back to the pride. And the reason she had to keep them away is that these big male lions are as much a threat to these cubs as predators are. So once she rejoins, then there's quite the hierarchy that happens. The the big alpha male lion has to kind of check out the cubs and allow them into the group. Once they're in, a pride can be as big as 35 lions. I had no idea it was that big. And so here's the interesting part. The female lions do all the hunting and killing. They go kill stuff and bring it back. You know who gets the first dinner? Big alpha male lion. Everyone stands around and he has all he wants. And then the cubs finish off the rest. Then the female lions have to go back out, catch more prey, bring it back, and that's what they eat. It's not a good look on the alpha male lions at this point. And then uh, 
So the legit question popped into my mind as I'm watching this Netflix series. I'm like, so what actually does he do? Like, what's his job? And of course, it's to protect the pride. So when a predator comes or other huge male lions, he fights them. And oftentimes, it's a fight to the death kind of scenario. So you can kind of understand. Okay. Now, God's designed lions and the way that they need to work and their social hierarchy, that's all good. It's how they survive. It all works. But when we, if we make the mental jump and kind of put that rubric on top of human behavior, that is not good. Obviously, human fathers shouldn't be behaving the way male lions do. I say should come to that conclusion because sadly enough, over almost 25 years of pastoral work, I have seen a lot of guys act like a male lion. They are sweet as anything during the dating period, the engagement. Once they're married and after that first year marriage has gone by, next thing you know, the guy's on his couch permanently attached playing uh, PlayStation Switch and his wife's out working, getting, making the paycheck, paying the rent. This guy's a total bum. And these verses in Ephesians, as I watched this hilarious documentary, I thought, you know what? It is absolutely the diametrically opposed opposite. Picking it up in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Interesting. Now, the NIV is a solid translation. I love the way the message version translates those exact same verses. It says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. So what does that practically look like? Going all out in love for your wife. Sounds like the exact opposite of sitting on the couch and eating off her paycheck. Going all out in love for your wife means a billion practical things. That means when you get home from school or work, or even retired guys getting home from serving out of the food bank or playing golf, It actually means grabbing that bin of laundry that isn't folded, put on some music, and put the stuff away. I don't care if we're tired, men. I don't care if you've had a long day. 15 minutes of folding laundry will bless your wife's life and allow her to get on to the million things she's got to do. Go all out in love for your wife means that when you see that little light glowing on the dishwasher, You don't just walk by it and wave and go, hey, Mr. Dishwasher. You actually stop and unload the dishwasher. Again, guys, this doesn't have to be painful. Put on some music. Tell some corny dad jokes to your kids, whatever. You know, verses 25 and 26 parallel the self-giving, self-sacrificing attitude and actions of Jesus with how a husband should obey. So these verses highlight the incredible loving and giving actions of our Lord and Savior. 
Why did Jesus give his life for the church? These verses tell us it was for the purpose of making her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So the make her holy part, make the church holy, that's not too hard to understand, means that Jesus died, rose again, and established the church so that the church should be set apart, going a different way than our fallen, broken world. It should talk and act and worship differently. Okay, we, we kind of get that. And you know what? When the church acts like that, when the church has cared for the poor, established hospitals, offered free education, pushed for change in nonviolent ways, then when the church has been set apart, doing more than just talking about goodness, we've actually done it. And you know what? Ocean View is far from a perfect church. But this past year, I stopped and thought of all the ways God has worked through this congregation. This church raised $22,500 for Liberia. And right now, there are 125 women in five different trades in that trade school we raise money for in Liberia. Learning skills like baking or tailoring or event planning, all these things that can be used to start businesses, maybe go work for other people. We're giving these single mothers whose husbands died, these widows, we're giving them incredible opportunities. Fernando and I had an interesting experience about a week before Christmas. A guy called up the church and he had driven up from Sydney, just past Victoria. He'd driven up, visited friends in Ladysmith and I guess the guy was kind of hard up for cash or whatever. And his friend said, yeah, 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 just come up here. Uh, we'll, we'll fill up your tank when you get here. And uh, sure enough, he comes up, has a great visit. And they're like, oh, sorry, dude, we, we can't. And he's like, uh-oh, well, now I'm a little messed. What do I do? So he ended up calling up the church. And, and Fernando took the call. And he says, Pastor Darren, how do we deal with these kind of requests? And I said, well, we listen to people. We try to discern if it's legitimate, if the person has real need. We kind of filter it a little bit. And if we think it's legit, then yeah, we don't hand out cash. We give gift cards. So we went down, got him a $75 gift card. He came up, we met him, gave them the gift card. And this dude was incredibly grateful. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing could have been a scam, but if it is, he's one heck of an actor. And uh, that's between him and God. This church was there in December, or end of November, when we had our general meeting. And uh, Carmen uh, Campbell Hewitt and her husband Neil live over on Shell Beach Road, other side of the bay. Uh, next door neighbors are the Stamanus First Nations. And one of the neighbors has developed this beautiful relationship with a lot of people in the Stamanus Band. And uh, through that came this opportunity for the church to give $1,000 of grocery gift cards in $100 denominations. And uh, a couple got excited about it, doubled it, and someone else gave. And so it ended up being not just 1000 bucks, but $2,500 of gift cards that went out from grocery stores like 49th. And it's so fun. I got to see a few of the pictures of people receiving them, and it looked pretty amazing. So sometimes the church gets it right. Sometimes the church fulfills this. It looks holy. It looks set apart. And other times the church completely botches it. It's not hard to come up with lots of examples. Think about the residential school tragedy with the unmarked graves. 
clergy, sexual abuse scandals. How about sometimes the awful way the churches respond to the LGBTQ plus community? Anger instead of hope. That's where the second part of verse 26 comes in. By the washing with water through the word. Now that's a bit confusing. What is Paul saying there? Is this a reference to baptism? Is that a reference to ceremonial baths and ritual cleansing? And what does he mean by the word? Is that an utterance of God? The whole Bible? Genesis to Revelation? So I did a little research this week, and Bible scholar Frank Thielman, he sorted through all the options, and he makes a really convincing case that what, he, what that actually means is the cleansing power of the gospel. And as I read his argument, I was like, yes, this makes so much sense. I totally understand this. Because the church, we often need the gospel preached to ourselves, We don't just proclaim it to the world that needs to hear it. We do that, but we also need to hear it ourselves. Widely considered to be the greatest theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth made the Latin phrase ecclesia semper reformanda est, and it means the church must always be reformed. The church must always reevaluate and look at where are we doing well, where are we messing up, and be on this continual cycle of reforming the church. We need to hear the call to repentance and faith, believing the good news of the gospel over and over again, so the church is always reforming. The moment we get proud and think we've arrived, like the Roman Catholic Church did in the Middle Ages, is when everything goes off the rails and it crashes and burns in sin and error. So what should be the effect of that self-evaluation and correction? Well, it tells us to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Isn't that beautiful? And when the church does reform and is repentant and is humble and it gets back to loving service in the name and power of Jesus, it can again be presented as radiant, without stain, without wrinkle. All right, that was a long example, Darren. So how exactly does that apply to marriage again? Well, what about a couple verses that choose, what about a couple that chooses to live their married lives not just for themselves, and their own comfort, but instead opens up, makes them available to their neighbors. If a husband is working and serving his wife so that together they have time to offer hospitality or comfort to someone going through a really hard time, then just like Jesus gave himself for the church, so that husband is sacrificing so their marriage can be holy, set apart, countercultural in the best kind of way. What about a marriage where the husband and wife are both preaching and listening to the call of the gospel to repentance and faith, living in freedom and joy? That kind of marriage, just like the church, should be a relationship and a home that is always reforming. And to anyone watching this morning who's retired, maybe been married for 30 or 40 years, the temptation to play the, we are just too old to change card is strong. Except that this past week, I heard about a couple who for the first 30 years of their marriage had super hardcore defined roles. 
There was pink jobs in that home and blue jobs. Stuff that he did, stuff that she did, and they never did each other's stuff, never helped each other. And as they were explaining this, I was like, wow, it was pretty interesting. So it was really rigid, really hardcore. Yeah, we had quite a lot of arguments over the years and about who was working harder and who was doing this and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting, they said once they retired, they finally looked at each other and went, what have we been fighting about all these years? And they started to relax and tried to soften. And now they're really come into a phase of the relationship where they're helping each other. Pretty beautiful. We aren't too old to change. So maybe it isn't just as Karl Barth said, ecclesia semper reformanda est, the church must always be reformed. Maybe it's matrimonium semper reformanda est. You're learning so much Latin today, it's amazing. A marriage must always be reformed. We're always trying to change. All right, we come to our final verses. I'm entitling this third point, Love and Respect. We're picking it up in verse 29. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And Paul finishes this passage with this amazing command that we're supposed to love and respect. And an easy way to mess up that command is for either person in the relationship to become extremely proud, make their spouse feel somehow less than worthy. I read a great account. This guy's name was Thomas Wheeler. He was the CEO of Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company. He did it for 10 years, from 88 to 98. And he tells this story humorously about himself. And he said he and his wife were driving alone and they're going down the highway and all of a sudden he looks at the gas gauge and he's like, oh wow, we're getting really down. And so he goes, well, we need a gas station. So he sees an exit, turns off, and they're kind of way out in the country and finally he comes to this just little tiny gas station. Only had one pump. And he's like, well, better than nothing. So he gets out and the attendant comes out and he says, yeah, we need to fill it up. Can you check the oil too? And they had been driving for a while, so he said, I'm just going to take a little walk. So he takes a little walk around the area and comes back, and the guy's finishing. As he comes back towards the car, he sees his wife and the gas attendant really chatting. And he's like, oh, that's amazing. And so they finish up, and he pays the guy, and the guy's like, hey, it was really great chatting again. Nice to see you. And as they're driving away, he's like, so did you know that guy? She says, yeah, we went to high school together actually we dated for a year he's like really and this is what he said <laughs> this is unbelievable he goes boy are you lucky i came along he goes if you had married him you'd be the wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a chief executive officer and she looks at him and goes honey if i had been if i had married him he would be the chief executive officer and you would be the gas station attendant. Husbands, strive to consistently and humbly love your wife. 
Wives, tell your husbands you are proud of them regularly, week in, week out. I am incredibly blessed to be married to Lori. And there's not a week that goes by that probably three or four times she doesn't tell me that she is proud of me. Teenage girls, you want to be married someday? Young adult women who are dating or engaged married women who have passed maybe the 15, 20-year mark of marriage, you all need to hear that telling a man you are proud of him, telling your husband you're proud of him, that is like giving ice-cold Coca-Cola to a guy on a hot day. It lifts him up and refreshes him. This is what it means when it says that Ephesians 5 contains God's blueprint for marriage. This is tried, tested, and true stuff. It's up to us whether or not we trust God's blueprint and put it into action. Amen?